Community Solar is a critical component in the sense that it guarantees you savings and in some programs even gives you recs. So grab it while you can, add it in to it in a fluid motion and do things in parallel to maximize the value to the company. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd be extremely thankful if you take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast player. At our recent Renewable Energy Forum, I sat down with Miro Sutton, Managing Director, Renewable Strategy and Origination at NRG Energy to discuss the state of community solar, including key trends and benefits, common misperceptions, and NRG's unique approach to developing community solar projects. Let's get into this conversation with Miro. Miro, thanks for joining me today. Great to have you here on this session. And why don't we start by having you give us a brief description of your background and your current role at NRG? Yeah, thank you, John. It's really a pleasure to be here and thank you for hosting this. I've been in renewables going on 15 years now with significant transaction experience, probably close to four gigawatts at this point in my career. Lots of that has been in community solar, probably in excess of 500 megawatts. I've been with NRG going on seven, maybe eight years now. Lose track of time, I think you know how that is. And I've started back where we were a developer with assets. And in 2018, we transitioned completely out of that role. We sold all our assets, oil development shop. And one of the things I've been tasked with is to help figure out the future of renewables at NRG. And that's where we founded this advisory business that we're now very focused on. And community solar is a huge part of that. And it's, I think, personally, only getting bigger And so we're really excited about the growth in the industry and how it has translated into just generally what we're doing at NRG. This is a great topic, Miro, because everyone knows community solar is out there. But if you ask 10 different people to define community solar, you'd probably get 10 different answers. What's what's your take? What's your elevator pitch on the definition of community solar? I think that's right. And community solar is a continuously evolving sector within solar. I think it's growing exponentially. And we can talk more about that in a minute. But if I had to define community solar for you, I would say it is small to medium sized solar projects that sit decentralized all over the grid, but not on individual sites of the customer. And the interaction with the customer is solely through a piece of paper that allows them to receive, think about it like a Groupon almost, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on their utility bill and guarantee them savings on their electric spend. And what's really nice about this is from a politician's perspective, if you think about why they're putting these programs into place, 
they get to increase the solar on the grid through local projects that are not done through one giant deal with a B2B kind of thing. And they're able to also democratize the access to solar across multiple types of residential, commercial customers who otherwise wouldn't have access to any mm. of the benefits and savings that renewables have brought to other customers. And so I think it's been incredibly popular because it kind of checks the RPS box, it checks the equity box, it checks all those boxes that politicians love. And honestly, that makes for a successful program on from all perspectives. Yeah. And, and it checks the cost savings box for the customer, which oh, yeah. is which is key. It's interesting. Starbucks hit on all of those points last week in their announcement, especially the part around equity to access to renewable energy. So thanks for that definition. The promise of community solar has, has been discussed for several years. Where's the community solar market today, in your view? We're experiencing, we're smack in the middle of tremendous growth cycle here. I think we have four active states. Well, there are a lot of niche states because, like you said previously, if you ask 10 people, you're going to get probably 11 answers for what's community solar. So we have four primary states active today, probably two on the less primary side, and then dozens with extra programs, programs coming up legislatively in different stages of production. And when I think about just how many megawatts have gone into the grid already, we're, we're somewhere close to 700 megawatts mm -hmm. in just a few years. And that's growing very rapidly. We are 700 megawatts last year during a pandemic and closing in on three gigawatts as an industry. And I think that's tremendous, right? This growth is continuing. And what's amazing to me is that it's a highly fragmented market. Mm -hmm. Each state thinks of their own program and their own nuance on how to do it. And we have to work within those confines. And so when you're not doing something on a national scale programmatically, that growth is even more amazing. Yeah, the highly fragmented nature of this is really, really interesting. Let's follow that up, Miro, by, by getting your take on kind of what, what's your sense for the key trends today in community solar? Yeah, I mean, well... Let's start with the fragmented piece and just how we have to deal with it. It's constant education all the mm -hmm. time, working with customers, with the different folks creating these programs in the PUC or wherever else they are, just to make sure that there's access for everyone to the programs and that the customers understand the nuanced differences between the programs and when they would have to sign up for the program. So there's a lot of education that goes on constantly behind the scenes. Now, what, what I would say, a few trends that I'm really excited about in the industry, we're seeing a shift towards much more friendly customer agreements. Back in 2015, we were signing deals where kind of like an on-site PPA, you had to have a fixed price for whatever bill credit comes in. You were kind of asking the customer to go into their crystal ball and figure out how much this bill credit is going to be worth when they had no context. Today, we're evolving to something where you're guaranteeing savings no matter what the bill credit value is. And that's kind of a great shift forward. I think there have been significant increases in availability to a wider swath of customers. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later, I think. Well, maybe not even on this podcast, there's a lot going on. But I would say that in general, the customer agreements have gotten a lot friendlier. They're moving in the right direction where it can open up to more folks and really where there's less risk 
to the individual customer. And a function, a little bit of function of that is I think financiers are finally starting to understand that community solar is not exactly like on-site solar. It's not exactly like VPPAs. The flexibility that the customers have also translates to flexibility for managing churn and other components for the developer. And so we've seen this transition towards more friendly customer contracts because of that. Now, from the developer landscape, I think we're seeing a couple of other trends as well. So we probably have a little bit more focus on LMI customers, low to moderate income customers. So I think that Mm. makes it a little more difficult for them to to fill up their projects quickly and easily because now they have to consider how do they maintain the LMI status and how do they make sure they qualify for it. So there's a lot of work that goes on that we also help developers with on qualifying the LMI components. Now, they also have to deal with increasing grid considerations and interconnection considerations. So all kinds of grid studies and cluster studies get triggered from community solar. We've seen this in Massachusetts, now starting in Maine as well. And it's something to consider, but for the most part, those processes are resolving favorably for the industry. So I'm optimistic that we can learn from some of the past experiences as an industry and start mapping those learnings into future markets from the get-go. So that would be probably a really good one there. And then the only other thing that I'd mention is just these programs are incredibly geographic, very important geography matching happening. Mm -hmm. And what Mm -hmm. do I mean by that? Like, so in Minnesota, we have some kind of county-based system where we have to match the county of the project to the customer or one around it. And so Mm -hmm. that makes for an interesting game when you have hundreds of sites for individual customer and matching to specific projects and all the fun Rubik's Cube that you have to put together. But in other programs, I think they're starting to simplify this. And so this is a trend in the positive direction. I think you're in the same utility zone within the same state, it's going to qualify. So again, these are all offsite, not on the property. And so anyone, for example, in National Grid New York can sign up to a project in National Grid New York for community solar. Interesting. So the market's expanding, increasing number of states. So there's this ongoing need for education on the customer side. But because there are more deals getting done, the terms are actually becoming simplified and the deal structure is less complicated. The targeting of low to mid-income markets is definitely, I think, a big consideration here, especially because you're almost able to really pinpoint and zero in with these specific projects. Miro, you touched at a high level on some of the key benefits that customers are deriving from community solar. I'd like to give you an opportunity, if you like, to maybe go into a little more detail on the benefits that, that customers get from participating in community solar projects. Yeah. The first thing I would just say is obviously the economic consideration is tr- is tremendous, right? So right. customers are able to get guaranteed savings on their utility spend without having to put at risk any dollars. It's super simple. It's here's 10% off your electric spend. Take it. It's there for you. And I think that's been a really attractive value proposition in in the latest kind of evolution of the market. And it's really helped open up a lot of doors that otherwise were closed to to the industry. Mm -hmm. Now, what I would say another really good one is, so going to that geographic comment we had earlier, just for example, National Grid New York, as long as the project's located there, you can sign up. 
it allows for flexibility in assignment. So if you're closing down store A in National Grid and you got store B opening up in another area in National Grid, you can just move the contract along, no hassle, no issue. <laughs> it could be done multiple times a year, super simple for the customer. And I know we probably haven't said the word Rex yet in however long we've been recording here, right? So it's been, I want to say an interesting conversation around Rex for certain when it comes to community solar, but mm-hmm. the, it's a ve- like we said earlier, it's fragmented. In some mm-hmm. markets, you're going to get the Rex. In other markets, you're not going to get the Rex because they go to the state mandated programs under the RPS or they go to the utility. So there's not a really a consistent answer around Rex, but for, the, for many programs, you actually don't even get the Rex. So mm-hmm. when we think about community solar, we think about the additionality component. We think about the local impacts. We think about the open access to equity for other folks who otherwise couldn't be part of it. And I know you mentioned Starbucks, many anchors like Starbucks who participate in community solar and their participation enables a whole set of residential customers, including LMI customers, to save money on this as well. Yeah, interesting. Those are some compelling benefits, especially the cost savings piece, of course, but this access, this broader access to renewables for people who might not otherwise get access to it, I think is going to become a more and more important benefit as time goes on. I think there are some misperceptions about community solar. I mean, I'll hear people say, well, not looking at community solar because we've already done a PPA. If you could wave a magic wand, what are, what are some of the misconceptions about community solar you'd like to be able to change overnight? Let's start with that headline one that you mentioned in the question, right? I work on VPPAs for large entities as well. And so I'm very familiar with the product, but I hear it all the time, right? Oh, I just did a VPPA. I I don't really need community solar. In fact, I would say that the word solar probably throws people off a lot just because I'm not even sure it's the operative word here. It's the community. That's the mm-hmm. operative word. And I tell folks all the time, your VPPA, your whatever you're doing on that front to help hit your sustainability goals is not competitive with community solar. They are additive products, right? Mm-hmm. One of them is going to help target the utility savings and potentially get you wrecks, while the other one you're renting into some kind of fixed for floating swap to help address your sustainability benefits and sustainability goals, and you could be underwater potentially on that, whereas community Mm -hmm. solar is totally different. It's matched to your bill. And when we talk about the two products, I'd also want to highlight that the contracting is way easier for community solar. I know a lot of folks have gone through the VPPA process. It is hard, right? There are a lot of groups that need to be involved. Community solar is much more simple. It's on the bill. It's, It's almost like putting your retail supply agreements in place for your electricity. It's something akin to that in terms of complexity compared to a VPPA. So I would say there's that for sure. Now, when we go within the community solar industry and think about some misconceptions that exist, even with customers who have already subscribed to projects, potentially, Mm -hmm. I think one big one is that all projects are really the same. I got this offer from that developer and I got this here. Why is your offer better? And I think that's One of the main reasons we founded this group here, this advisory group, is because not all projects are the same. Mm -hmm. And we've seen one of the things, unfortunately, about the community solar industry is there's very high rate of delay or even failure of projects to get to the finish line. And one of the things we step in 
We help our customers with full due diligence. We have folks who have developed projects. They dive into data rooms to make sure that any project that we're signing our customers up for is actually going to get done. And this is something that is not surprising in a relatively new industry and not surprising where contracting is not as sophisticated as the VPPA world, where you have all your remedies and your LCs and whatnot listed. Here, it's a little lighter touch because the savings are guaranteed. So the real risk for customers, opportunity cost of going to a project that won't get there for you. And we see that all the time. And I think that's a big misconception is that everything in the industry is really the same. So what's the difference between project A and project B? And then probably the other one, I mean, we mentioned the rec component. So a lot of folks come in to say, well, hold on, I'm not getting the recs and this is solar. To that we say, it's kind of like on-site solar in that respect. But really, that's where it stops in its similarity to on-site solar, right? On-site being a lot more complicated to get done with the land easement rights and, and all the other pieces that help projects, that, that make projects fail in that regard. So I'd say it's not on-site solar. It's not a VPPA. And it is a lot easier. It's kind of straddles that middle ground and makes it easier by removing the complexities from both sides of that equation, right? It removes the on-site complexities and it removes the VPPA stringencies and risks. Those are two real compelling reasons to to look seriously at this. I do want to dig a little deeper on the piece around the environmental benefits, because another thing I'll, I'll hear is, hey, we're so focused on emission reductions, we can't look at community solar right now. For someone who is really focused on the environmental benefits, are, are there any ways that you can kind of deal with that? I love that question. To me, this is something I hear all the time as well. And one of the things that really I try to instill in the customers when I'm speaking to them, when I hear this is, look, let's put an analogy out there. John, you're, you're employed, you have, you have an income, you're doing well, but if you're walking down the street and you see $100 lying on the floor, you're going to pick it up or you're going to say, no, no, I need to focus on my job at hand. I don't have time to pick up that $100 off the floor. That's the way I think about the community solar because it is fleeting. These programs, they don't last very long. Unlike a VPPA where you can time your entry, it doesn't really matter when you go in. You know, There's market conditions, sure, sure, but there's nothing programmatically limiting you from doing it today versus tomorrow. Community solar, we are limited. Mm-hmm. These programs are finite. And they go quickly, honestly. Minnesota, 2015, 2016, you could have gotten a lot done. Today, it's a lot harder. They tend to go down in value after the first tranche. So we see Minnesota move to value of solar, which is less valuable to both customers and developers. In Maine right now, we have a very valuable program for customers. There are four bills in committee to help reduce that value because it is that lucrative. So typically, the programs go down in size, down in value over time. The first entries into the program are usually going to do the best. And so I I highly encourage customers to take the community solar component. It is a low-hanging fruit. It's super simple to get done. Put that on under the completed bucket while you're actively managing and completing your grand strategy because you need one. Everyone needs a grand strategy, right? You got to figure out how you're going to get there to the promised land, right? Zero carbon. And community solar is a critical component in the sense that it guarantees you savings and in some programs even gives you recs. So grab it while you can, add it in to it in a fluid motion and do things in parallel to maximize the value to the company. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, that makes a world of sense. And the analogy used is interesting because it's 
it's always important to save money, right? So you shouldn't be so focused on one element that it would result in you turning your head on saving money. So the compelling benefits of community solar should should clearly be considered. You've touched on your approach a little bit during the conversation. I'd like to give you a chance to expand on this. What's unique about NRG's approach to community solar projects? Yeah, John, thanks for that question. So we have three primary focuses every time we have a new customer. Number one, making sure you save money. Always important that we're entering into these agreements and they are value accretive to the customer. Number two, saving time. Mm-hmm. And this one is perhaps as important as number one. We want to make sure that the community solar process is painless, quick, and homogenized. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a moment. Mm-hmm. Number three is also saving your reputation. Mm-hmm. And that's important because, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of community solar doesn't make it to the finish line or gets significantly delayed. And nothing reflects more poorly on the champion of a project than something going wrong down the road. And so mm-hmm. we try to address these three pillars every single time we are advising on a specific transaction. And so the way we start, our process actually begins once a customer signed up with us, it begins with us sending a template agreement that we have created for our customers that is more customer friendly and can be used in every single market. And why that is so important is that it homogenizes this process so that in every single instance, in every developer, in every interaction, you're not recreating the wheel. And I think that's really critical and important when you're talking about something as fragmented as community solar. And so we start with that process. The customer's legal. We'll look at the document, give us their suggestions and changes. We'll comment on whether or not those are market. And only after we finalized on an executable form will we take it out to the market and start soliciting offers for the customer. And I think that's an important distinction because it means that the first time is hard maybe or a little bit hard, but honestly, after that, it gets super easy. It's plug and play. It doesn't take a lot of effort. Everybody's familiar. It's the same approval process, same document. And when we go to the developers, it's also easy for them. Dozens of developers have used this form already to finance transactions. And so anyone who comes back and says, hey, we actually need our own bespoke form, we immediately pivot and show them how this has worked for others and how it covers everything they need to get this project financed. In fact, even the post-contracting experience is better with this agreement. And so one thing that fun anecdotal story for you, we had one developer come to us and say, hey, our financing parties need a consent to assignment agreement from the customer, which was 29 pages long and had terms in there that were completely unacceptable. And we pushed back and said, you don't need it because our agreement has this exhibit for the lenders specifically to cover them. We got on a call with their financing party, which was the natural next step, showed them this, walked them through it. And they said, all right, one page estoppel, right? Which is a way different thing than a very long consent assignment. So all that is to say is the standardization of the form and homogenization of the process saves a lot of time, a lot. Then the next piece is going out to the market, getting quotes from developers, making Mm -hmm. sure they're all apples to apples because they usually come in apples to oranges. And then finally, just as important, diligencing each and every asset that we get in huge data rooms and condensing those data rooms into digestible diligence reports that 
really highlight four critical milestones or components of the project. So it's land control, interconnection, permitting, and financing. Making sure that these projects are going to get to the finish line is very important. And that's what that process is about. We also help with a little bit of the standardization around RECs and REC treatment and REC replacements and different optionality that different customers need. So we're always innovating, always pushing forward to make sure we're covering some of those angles, whatever can be done. Then we also make sure our customers are aware that our fees, they don't decrease the value to the customer. I don't know how to emphasize this enough. We have a lot of solid examples where we've entered into relationships with customers who already had agreements in place and we've gotten them better economic deals with better terms and it helps just with everything start to finish. Now, moving away from that for a moment, there is one other subset of customers that I think we address uniquely. So if you're a really large retailer, for example, with hundreds of sites across the country, locations in every single state, one of the critical pieces, even with someone helping you set up the program, managing it post-execution is really complicated. You get all these requests from developers. You have to follow which projects are going live. Try to make sure your bill credits are matching up with what you're actually receiving from the developer in terms of being billed. A lot of moving pieces. And so for those really large customers, we've instituted a very high-touch program. Same kind of pay structure where they don't pay us. We get paid by developers upon successful deals. And we manage everything for years and years for these customers to make sure that they're fully into the program when NRG steps out of the picture. So it's interesting. I mean, you start with this deep expertise on community solar and understanding the nuances of the programs in various states. Then you're doing a very customized approach. It's kind of a bespoke approach for each customer getting their legal group to sign to basically say, yes, if you bring us something with these terms, it'll go through. That's a really smart, smart approach. We've covered so much ground here. I've, I've got to ask you, Miro, and I know you can't talk in specifics about any, any of your deals, but is there one recent deal you can talk to us about without sharing who it was, where you could give us a sense for kind of how you help make it happen? Let's go to that latter example I had in the last question you asked me. So we have one customer who signed a significant amount of community solar before onboarding us. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we noticed was they were completely overwhelmed. They could not really stay on top of which projects are going live, which ones are delayed, what's happening, how do we move sites, we're closing down this store. And so what we did is we stepped in, we said, look, if you hit a certain megawatt threshold with us, we're going to take over not only the new projects we're signing, but the existing projects that you've signed previously, we'll manage those as well. We know you need it. So we did a few deals together. We covered their sites in Maine, for example, and then we pivoted to their existing portfolio. We took everything top to bottom. We had a team of three people look at it for about, I don't know, a month or two, just trying to figure out how to rejigger this whole thing so that it's more efficient. There was a lot of inefficiency and errors that were happening on the billing side. I mean, we just had to dive into every detail. And this was a tremendously fruitful process. We've, we've taken, they had hundreds of contracts. We've helped them now, we're, we're almost at the finish line here, consolidate those contracts to about 40 from mm -hmm. hundreds to manage, which A, reduces a lot of the friction and time that, that happens. 
It also condenses things onto sites and opened up a whole new set of sites for community solar that they previously were not thinking to subscribe. So it was kind of an interesting win-win-win across the board. And this process is just, it's ongoing, it's continuous, and we're around for years contractually to help them manage everything in their portfolio. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, if you make it easy for me and you make it more efficient and you help save me money, I think I want to work with you. <laughs> what do you see the future like in community solar, Mira? Where do you see things headed? I think it's really bright. We have dozens of markets that are going to open, I think, in the coming five to 10 years. Even in the next one to two years, we have, some, we have a few significant markets on the horizon, thinking Pennsylvania and Virginia. And there's potentially many more that can open. And so I think that's tremendous. I think the innovation component will continue. In fact, one thing that we've launched recently is we've partnered with one developer to completely open up community solar to other customer classes that previously could not even get access to it. And Mm -hmm. this is just on the anchor side, right? So what we're talking specifically about is in certain areas well, in all community solar right now, you are limited to investment grade or just under investment grade quality customers. Typically, the developer will want 20 years to 25-year commitments, although we've been successful getting a few caveats to that, pretty unique to our customers to help mitigate that risk. But now what we're trying to do is open this up completely. So we've removed credit requirements completely. We have removed the term length completely. And NRG is is standing behind the developer to help manage this process for them over the next 10 years. And I think that's a game changer because now we can go to any local business that previously was not included in this program and open it up to them. And what I would like to see is more programs go down the road where New York went, which is consolidating the community solar billing onto the utility bill. Instead of the customer receiving the full bill credit value and paying the developer separately, it's Mm -hmm. all netted out on the utility bill, which removes some of the credit risk for the customer. So we've started and launched this program now in New York. So any small business can approach us and get access to community solar in upstate New York for now, right? We're kind of piloting it there. Other innovations around this and similar to this are inevitable. The space is growing very rapidly, and I think there'll be a lot to do in the coming years. Wow. Two of the biggest obstacles all of our research shows are term length and credit risk for developers is always a major, major issue. Yep. And the thought of having a model or a program going forward that eliminate those two material hurdles in the process is just is very, very exciting to hear about. So we'll look forward to hearing more about what you're doing in the space. Thanks very much for being with us here today. Your expertise is clearly very deep, as is your enthusiasm for the topic. Thanks again, Miro, very much for your insights. And we look forward to what you'll be doing to continue to innovate community solar going forward. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for listening to the podcast and being a part of our community. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes 
and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for more details. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition like Miro in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.